Welcome to the Bad Girls on Business, the podcast that makes business more fun so you want to do more of it. Here are your hostesses with the mostesses, Jenny Bellinger, Virginia Mooskins, and Michelle Nedelec. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to an amazing episode of Bad Girls on Business, where you're going to get a whole lot of business savvy with just a little bit of sass. I'm Virginia Muskis, the referral diva, your host, and I am joined today by my co-hosts. Hi, I'm Jenny Bellinger, the direct sales dom. And, and I'm Michelle Nedelec, your mistress in business, helping you get it up and keep it up. Amen, sisters. So glad to have us all back together here. And today we are interviewing Danny Eaney, the founder of Miracy, a leading voice in the world of online course creation. Danny has been featured in the Harvard Business Review and Entrepreneur and contributes regularly to publications including Inc., Forbes, and Business Insider. He has spoken at institutions like Yale University and organizations like Google, and his work on strategy training won special recognition from Fast Company as a world-changing idea. Danny is also the author of multiple best-selling books and about online education and business, including Leverage Learning, Teacher Gift, and most recently, Effortless. And I have to tell you guys that all that's awesome right? But the one thing that Danny's bio doesn't tell you is what an amazing quality human he is. So he is an amazing business owner, but I guarantee you that that business follows him because of his high standards for himself and his team and for his clients and the integrity with which he does things. And Danny, um, it's my, it's my honor to have you here today because in just the short time I've known you, you've contributed so much and we are just excited to give back. So thanks for being here today. Virginia, that's very kind of you to say. I'm totally blushing. Um, the pleasure and the privilege is mine. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. So first question is, how'd you get started doing what you do? Like, what's your, what's your story? You want the long version or the short version? It's your time, baby. Tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you the quick run through. You tell me what you want to drill into. So um, I like to say I've been an entrepreneur for longer than my adult life. I quit school when I was 15 to start my first business, um, bounced around, did a whole bunch of different things. And around my mid-20s was my first attempt at a big startup type company. So, you know, we, we raised money, friends, family, investors, grants, et cetera. We were building a software product that was designed to help kids learn how to read. And we had some really good early success. The experts loved it. The kids loved it. Um, and very long story short, I was a very young and very inexperienced CEO in what in hindsight is like one of the most complicated industries on the face of the planet. And by the time I figured out what was what, you know, we had run out of money. I reworked the plan and figuring out, okay, here's how we need to change things in order to, to make this work. And I hit the pavement to raise more money. And that was September of 2008, right? And so the markets crashed. There was no money to be had. It was game over. And um, I didn't want to tell my investors who were friends and family that their money was gone. And so I took the losses on personally. So I walked away from that with about a quarter of a million dollars in personal debt. And anyone who's listening to this, who's been through like a big business setback, you know that it's not just rough financially, although I mean, it was, it's also really rough emotionally. It's, it's a lot like being through a really bad breakup. And after a really bad breakup, you're not ready to start dating again right away. You need some time to lick your wounds. And so, you know, I definitely needed to pay rent. That was a priority. But I was like, well, what can I do 
that doesn't involve raising money and building a giant team. And I thought, well, what if I start a blog? What if I start teaching things that I've learned myself, you know, so I can do this like on the side, part time. It was, this was like the casual, no strings kind of business. And um, long story short, sometimes the rebound is the one. Here I am more than a decade later. I have a team of 40 people. We serve thousands upon thousands of entrepreneurs every year. We, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands of people. And uh, I'm, I've never had so much fun. So the way that that positioned and turned into online courses is that, you know, I had this blog and I'm struggling to get the word out about it. And I try lots of things and I stumble onto a strategy that seems to be working. And, um, you know, I, I have a work ethic. So, you know, what I, what I lack in good ideas, I make up for it in just, you know, working extra hard. So this thing is working. I'm doing more and more of it. And people start to notice. And so I start getting emails from people saying, Danny, can you teach me how to do this thing that you're doing? And of course, not always being the guy who picks up on all the cues as quickly as, as I might, my answer was, no, that's not what I do. But thankfully, those emails kept coming in. And eventually, I thought, you know what? People seem to really want this. Even if this isn't my core business, you know, it would be nice to make some money. It would be really nice to, to be able to do that. So I put a little course together. Um, I thought nobody would buy it. So I, I just had like a high-level outline. I said, guys, you can sign up. If you like it, I'll build it. Um, but if not, you know, no, no worries, no stress. That course did phenomenally well. Um, we had about a thousand people sign up in the first year. And pretty soon, you know, within a few months, my students were starting to get all these great results and they came back to me and they're asking me questions. And there are lots of variations on the questions, but like between the lines, everyone was basically saying, hey, now that I know how to do this thing, does that mean I know everything I need to know to build my business? And my answer, of course, was, well, no, why would you think that? There's, it's a very, there's a lot that goes into it. It's complicated. But so many people were asking, I thought, well, maybe I'll create another course about building this kind of, of online business. And same thing, I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to want it, but I'm going to put it out there. If enough people sign up, I'll build it. Um, that became my second blockbuster course. It was my first million dollar product, did really, really well. And people started coming back to me saying, you know, Danny, I've taken a lot of online courses. I never do anything with them. When I try to, I never get results. When I take your courses, I, I do the work, I get results. Can you teach me how to build courses like yours? And that was close to a decade ago now. That was like 2013 or something. And uh, that's when I started teaching people how to build and sell online courses. And I've been doing it ever since. And it's become a, a saturated space. There are a lot of people who, who these days will, will claim they can teach you how to build and sell an online course. But to my knowledge, I'm the only one who's written multiple books on the subject. I'm the only one who um, has a team of coaches to support all of our students. And because of that, I'm the only one who can actually guarantee that our students will be successful. So that's that's the, I won't say short, but that's the medium version. I, Danny, you know, you, you caught my eye because you were winning leaderboards. Like every time there was a, you know, I'm like, every time there was a leaderboard and I was just, you know, earning a hundred bucks on the space and like there's Danny Eaney in the top three. So you caught my eye and ended up on my bucket list of like people I really want to meet, like cool people I want to meet. Um, and then I had the opportunity to, to talk with you. And I just, I want to um, ask this question because there's, there's so many of us in the space that are really, really um, struggling, I think, with the balance between eth ethical delivery, like ethical promises and delivery on those ethical promises um, and, and having a two comma business, right? Having a seven figure launch because they seem to be um, 
bipolar opposites, if you will. They seem to be comp- competitive because all, a lot of us have put in money with those programs and not gotten re- results, et cetera. So in our heads, we've conflated buy an online buy an online course from a seven-figure provider and you'll never get your value. And we don't want to be that. So can you un- unwind that for people? Because I do believe it's possible because here you are sitting in front of us to run a results-driven, ethically spun business and make a good living and employ a lot of people? You know, I I love the question. And I think, honestly, I think it's the, I mean, I have a bias, obviously, but I think it's the only way to do it and to do it sustainably. And that sustainability point, I think, is really key, right? You know, you can pull the wool over people's eyes for a little bit, and the better your marketing is, the more you can, you know, convince, tweak, manipulate for people to essentially make a bad investment. But, you know, this idea of there being a dichotomy between, you know, doing the smart business thing, quote unquote, and doing the right thing. If you just zoom out your perspective, you realize that it's the same thing, because if you are making tons of money selling something that people don't get results with, what you're basically doing is that with every launch, with every year, you're growing the pool of people who don't think highly of you and have a bad opinion of you. That is not the recipe for success. And, you know, people were able to get away with it in this industry because it is a nascent industry. And when you have any kind of nascent industry, um, you know, even if people aren't familiar with the term diffusion of innovations, I'm sure people have seen the, the bell curve with, you know, innovators, early adopters, mainstream buyers, et cetera. So when you have any nascent industry, everyone who's buying is an innovator and an early adopter. These are people who are very trigger happy on sale. They're, it's easy to get them to buy. They're not as concerned with downside. They're really excited about the upside. They tend to be impulsive, right? Their expectations are different. And in the early days, you could just like churn through those innovators and early adopters. But online courses have reached a point where the market is mature. Mainstream, normal people are buying them for a variety of reasons. You know, it's been around long enough. COVID kind of shoved into the mainstream, et cetera. And people who are just normal people have different expectations. I mean, show me, you know, the the average completion rate, not success rate, completion rate, meaning just people watched all the videos in the space is somewhere between six and 9%. Show me another industry in the world where upwards of 90% of people who buy from you don't get a result and you're still in business. Show me another industry where, where that stat is true and you're not in jail, right? That's just insane. And so whenever you have a, a nascent burgeoning space, there are all these loopholes and it's the wild west, but it's not like that anymore, right? And it's not a matter of like regulation, it's just a matter of what will people tolerate and how savvy are customers and, and it just, it doesn't fly anymore. Absolutely. And I know that there's a ton of people that are getting fresh into the world of doing online courses and looking at the market and going, oh my God, everything that could be invented has already been invented. <laughs> So not true. But how do you deal with those people that are just looking at getting into the whole uh, online thing and deciding, like, where do I fit in? How can I possibly bring value into this market? Sure. Yeah. So that's a really good question. And um, to to understand where people fit in, you've got to understand um, that there's been a kind of split or a schism in the world of online courses over the last, let's call it, five years. Right. So in the early days of online courses, people are like, ooh, online courses, shiny new medium. I can put a video on a membership site. And um, a lot of the people who were doing this were not people who really understood education, education being how to trigger a transformation and competence on the part of, of your, of your student, right? That is a skill. 
And so they were like, all right, I guess this is like publishing, right? Just like a book can be put online as, a, as a, an HTML file. I guess it's like that. And so they would take, you know, what is a, otherwise an in-person or remote learning experience. They put it online. They charge lots of money, big price inflation in the early days. And, you know, people didn't get much by way of results. And as the space matured, it kind of split in two. So on one hand, you've got really information, right? The information publishing paradigm of business. So what's the archetypal information product? It's a book in a bookstore, right? So you go to a bookstore, you walk in there, you find the book that purports to have the information that you're looking for. You find it, you take it to the register, you pay for it. Not a lot because books are not expensive because replicating information is not expensive. And once you've paid for the book, nobody owes you anything, right? Not the publisher, not the bookstore owner, not the author. You got what you paid for. What you do with it or don't do with it is up to you. And the vast majority of books are not read past chapter one. That is the sad reality of, of book publishing. But that's okay if you spend $20 for a book because a book is very much an aspirational purchase. I would like to be the kind of person who knows more about this. And sometimes we live into those aspirations. And you know, if I pay 20 bucks but don't act on it, it's not the end of the world. Now, the potential for transformation there is very limited, right? Books are a great way of exposing ourselves to new ideas. They're a great way of expanding our horizons. They're a great way of integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. Books are not a good way of developing competence. We don't get good at things by reading books in the same way that we don't get good at things by watching videos, right? So that's information. And with people who are producing information product courses, right? It's just a bunch of videos in a membership site. It's essentially a book in a different medium. That's a race to the bottom. The quality of the video content is getting higher and higher. You look at like celebrity instructors and high production value on Masterclass and Udemy, et cetera. And the cost is dropping. You know, a course like that is worth 20 to 50 to 100 bucks. And, you know, that's if you're, I don't know, uh, that's if you're Aaron Sorkin. Or, um, or, or David Ramsey, right? That's if you're like a big celebrity. So if you are um, an expert in your field, you have real meaningful expertise and you're like, I want to create an information only course and I think I'm going to try to compete with Dave Ramsey. It's like, no, you're not. It's, it's a very competitive space. It's a race to the bottom. Margins are thin. You've got to do high, high volume. Um, the whole passive income fantasy in that space is a fantasy because it requires you have very specific things working in your favor, very unfair advantages. And we can talk about that if you want. But let's look at the other side of that schism, which is real education, which is something that imparts transformation. So what is an education product in the real world? It's a university course. And, and that space is a little bit problematic. The, you know, the university system has to be disrupted for a variety of reasons. But in broad strokes, you register for a university course, you're paying a lot of money because it costs a lot to, to deliver that experience. There's the professor, there's the TAs, there's the grounds, there's the resources. There's a lot that goes into it. And you're not buying a diploma. You're buying the opportunity to earn one. And you still have a responsibility to show up and do the work, right? If you just blow off your classes and do nothing, you're going to fail and nobody's going to care. But if you show up, if you do the work, it is reasonable for you to expect that the instructor, the, the support team behind them, the institution will do their part to help you succeed. So the responsibility for your success in an educational context is really a partnership between the teacher and the student. And that is the sort of vehicle that actually does drive transformation. And that is where people are willing, because it's justified, to pay a premium. And so I mentioned Aaron Sorkin earlier. Aaron Sorkin's the guy who wrote The West Wing, A Few Good Men. And he's got a class on Masterclass about screenwriting. 
right? So you take his class on screenwriting because you're interested in screenwriting. You know, whether you're an amateur, whether you're an aspiring professional, you're interested. You take the class and it's entertaining and it's interesting. And maybe you learn a couple tricks. But you don't come out of it a better screenwriter. <laughs> like you're not a good screenwriter as a result of gone through, going through that course. But something interesting has happened because Aaron Sorkin and Masterclass have done the heavy lifting of leading aspiring screenwriters to now know that, hey, I can take an online course and get good at this. And they say, okay, now I'm ready to get serious, right? I want to go deep on this and, and really develop some skills. Who's going to teach me, right? Not Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin's busy with his own projects. So that space of not just I'm going to provide some information and you know the responsibility on you, is on you, but I'm going to actually create an immersive um, let's call it a transformative learning journey that is worth paying a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars for. That is the opportunity for most aspiring course creators and course entrepreneurs today. So I love that you, you know, I'm I have an educational background, as does I know Virginia as well. Um, Michelle, I'm not sure. Former teacher? Yes, no, no. She's not a former teacher. Okay, Virginia and I are both former teachers, and so I love that you you pointed out the difference between information and education because I I can definitely see now that you've pointed it out so brilliantly that there there is a huge difference between these informational online courses and educational and and what the results are going to be and how we're going to treat them as online course creators so do you see then um are people tending trending more towards the educational piece now because that that seems to be the way that i see people in the industry are going but maybe that's just who i'm surrounded with i don't i don't know where where do you see those starting to take off now? Well, that's what we're seeing across the board. So, so to be clear, information products are not going away, right? It's just a very saturated space. And to compete there successfully, you need some unfair advantages working in your favor, right? The big area of opportunity, the, um, I won't call it virgin territory, but comparatively speaking, blue ocean space is that transformative, build a real educational experience that delivers an outcome. There's still a lot of opportunity there. It'll become saturated too over time. But there's still a lot of room there to build and create and deliver something that really makes a difference for people. And as a result, delivers a real, a real value outcome to the entrepreneur as well. So Danny, I wanna I wanna ask a question. This is a selfish question. So watch me get watch me use this podcast to get coaching. This is really my space. Uh, multitasking. So, you know, one of the things that I've noticed. Uh, and I love this this idea of information versus education. Are you informing or are you educating? information, cheap, education, expensive, right? Like that made so much sense to me and now I get it. The challenge I'm personally having in the space is that people are freaking confused, Danny. They think my education should be $97. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? It's like I commit Harry Kari for every student that walks into this room and I deliver massive value and massive transformation Right. And they're like, well, that was great, but I don't want to deliver that for $97. That's my $2,000. It always was $2,000. And somehow in my head, I got convoluted and conflated with all these three day events that people are doing, like the $1 three day event and the, you know, which are sort of the pitch fest events, but I don't do that. How do you position yourself? Because you're different. How do you position yourself? kind of against that backdrop, which is the proliferation, like it's the loud backdrop. That's the, it's a lot, there's a lot of noise over there. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, that's, that's, a, that's you know, marketing positioning, which fundamentally comes down to two things, right? One, what are people expecting? And if you don't tell them what to expect, then they will make guesses based on, you know, the best thing that they've seen in the industry as they, what they think is typical. And so first is what are they expecting? And second is what are they comparing it to? Right. So you have to, I mean, you can, you can hope for the best. You can just be like, I'm putting this out into the world and I hope they'll draw the right conclusion. Or you can say, look, this is what they should expect. And this is what they should compare it to. You know, I, I look us versus them is a powerful narrative, right? You know, the industry is not playing up to the standards that it should be right now is a strong message, especially for, for an audience or, or a market that is not thrilled with what they've seen in the industry. And so as long as that dynamic continues to be true, you know, position, positioning legitimately against what is going on in the industry saying, you know, this is different and here's why, I think is very, very powerful. So once upon a time, so I used to, when Jenny said you'd, do education. I was not a university educated teacher. I did adult education and here's how you live life. <laughs> kind of. um, and then all of a sudden something happened and everybody went, oh, I want to get online. But those that personal development transformation didn't translate online at all. Nobody was buying it, I guess, because they were buying informational products at that time. And now there's been a swing going, well, pre-COVID, there was a swing going back to, no, we want live, we want that transformation. Now with COVID, how do you get that really transformational experience in an online setting? Or can you? So I love that question. And yes, you absolutely can. You, but you have to think differently about it. So here's the thing. An in-person learning experience is not optimal by any stretch of the imagination. But it has some things going for it. Right? You know, there is a value to being right there in the room. There is a value to that you know, interactive experience. There's a value to seeing their body language and them seeing you seeing them. There is value to all that. There's also a lot that is really suboptimal about it, right? There's the accessibility issue. There's the fact that logistics force, um, uh, like, so here's a great example. Um, why is every class 45 or 60 or 90 minutes long, right? It has nothing to do with the optimal length of a lesson or way to deliver content. It just has to do with the fact that if you're doing learning in person synchronously, meaning all the students and the teacher have to synchronize their calendars to be in the same place at the same time, then you know you need it to be for a length of time that makes sense for them to get there. Right. Whereas that's not how it has to work if it's online and, and semi-synchronous, right? Some things can be done with all of us together in the room, some of us room being virtual, or some of it can be done, you know, I'm going to give you this content, you watch it at your own pace, you have the flipped classroom opportunities. There's a lot of things that you can do. Now, the thing is, though, that the learning experiences that we've developed for an in-person environment, flawed as that environment is, they're optimized for that environment, right? You know, we, we built the learning experience to play to the strength of the content. So if you take your, your lesson plan, essentially, if you take what you were going to deliver in person and you try to take that online, what you get is a poor man's version of something that probably wasn't great to begin with. So what you need to do is rebuild what you're trying to do with the idea of online first. And the way you do that is by adding an extra step. You don't just think, well, what was I doing in person? How can I do that online? You want to ask yourself, what was I trying to accomplish by doing that? And then online, what is a way to accomplish that? I'll give you a, a real life example. 
Um, so we have a, we have a conference where I teach people about entrepreneurial mindset and, and ways to think about money, risk, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the exercises that I have people do is kind of take a personal inventory. I ask them the first question, um, you know, off the top of your head, this is totally private. You're not sharing this with anyone. Write down a number. What can you afford to invest in your business? And this is just for them. So they write down a number. Then I have them do a second exercise, also totally confidential. They're not sharing with anyone. It's just for them. But imagine you had to liquidate all your assets, right? So how much equity do you have in your home, your car, your credit card? And make it clear, I'm not recommending that they actually do that. This is just like a thought exercise for them. So they write down a second number. And what I really want to call attention to is the, the gap between these two numbers, because it raises a question like, you know, that is money you have technically to invest if it's a good thing to invest in. Why does your head not go there? So, you know, and I do a whole bunch of teaching and training about that. But I want to draw their attention to the massive gap there. And it's not just about them. It's in, this is how everyone thinks. So in person, when I do my conferences, I say, I'm not going to ask you about either of the numbers. But if the gap between these two numbers is more than $1,000, please stand up. So the whole room stands up. If it's more than $2,000, stay standing. 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, 15, 20, 30, 50. And I think usually around 50, I tell them, okay, you can, you can sit down. And they see that for most people, you know, at $50,000, they're still standing. So it's not a small discrepancy. Now we took our event online when COVID happened. So, you know, I have to do the same experience, but I have to deliver it online. So let's say I were to try to do the exact same thing, right? You know, if the gap is more than $1,000, please stand up. First of all, people probably aren't going to stand up because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, right? I don't know if I'm going to do it and like participation isn't good. Let's, bingo. But then let's say that they do stand up, then I'm looking at like a wall of everyone's crotches on Zoom. This is not optimal, right? This is not the experience I'm trying to create. So I thought, okay, well, why am I doing this, right? What I really want to show them is it's not just you. And this is sensitive financial stuff. I want, I want people to kind of feel a certain degree of anonymity. Um, so I tell them, first of all, um, we're going to take the name labels off of everyone's Zoom here. So like nobody's going to know your name. Second of all, I want you to get a white piece of paper, right? And if the gap is more than $1,000, hold the piece of paper up to your camera, right? So all of a sudden, the whole wall of everyone on Zoom, the whole wall turns white. And it's like, okay, I had the same effect. So you don't want to think, how do I just do the same thing online? You want to ask yourself, when I do this, what am I trying to accomplish? Okay, what's a way for me to create that effect in this online context? That's the step that people skip. I think that's brilliant because in that in that case, and and in order to get someone to invest in a transformational piece, they've gotta, they've gotta have a level of safety and trust that you are going to take them through that process. And if you break that trust from that initial piece and don't allow them the safety of being anonymous for just a little bit of, you know, but then also kind of sitting and understanding that, that piece, I, I think that's absolutely brilliant. I love that, that transition, um, from, you know, from in-person to online, because that's, I, I think there are a lot of, a lot of people who are not making that transition easy, easily. They're, they're not thinking about things um, from that, that online, online space. So as, you're, as you've been working with people through, this, um, through, through that process, what are some of the big stumbling blocks that you're seeing online course creators hit now in the COVID times versus a little over a year ago you know, at the time of this recording, 
what are the, have the stumbling blocks changed in this year of new? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, it's gotten easier, right? I, I can't think of a particular stumbling block that has come up that didn't exist before COVID, but a lot of stumbling blocks have been taken away, right? People's expectations of, oh yeah, I can learn something online. You know, it's much more in the mainstream awareness than it was, you know, 18 months ago, right? There, there was a certain amount of inertia. I don't want to do this online. I don't want to do this on Zoom. And like COVID kind of said, well, you know what? Too bad. You're going to, right? And so everyone kind of got with the program. And that's why we've seen, you know, literally in the, in the span of the first few months of the pandemic, what would have taken five or 10 years of, of market adoption and evolution. So it moved very, very quickly. Um, you know, the, the, there is a bit of an emerging challenge around things like Zoom fatigue, but honestly, that's never been a problem of the medium. It's been a problem of what people are doing with the medium. You know, th there's this study that people have an attention span shorter than a goldfish. Everyone likes to cite this idea and it drives me crazy. So I tracked down the research. It's based on this, this study that was taken way out of context. And it's, it's like not useful at all. Here, here's what I think. People's attention spans haven't gotten shorter. They've just become more discerning, right? You can't tell me in an era where people will sit and binge watch 10 hours straight of Game of Thrones that people have no attention span. They're just more discerning about where they put their attention. In other words, you have to do a better job of holding it. And this was actually a, a challenge and an advantage of being in person in the room because when you're delivering a training in person in the room, people are kind of sort of literally captive right? You have a captive audience. And so you could get away with a degree of being bad at it that you just can't online. And so it, it hasn't introduced a new challenge. It has just kind of underlined and reinforced the need to do it well, to start with um, you know, what instructional designers call backward integrated design. So what is the outcome that I want? You know, At the end of the day, when they're through the course, what do I want them to be able to do? And then we can drill two layers deeper. It's not just what do I want them to be able to do. It's also how well and under what circumstances, right? If I'm teaching a course on, um, I don't know, active listening, right? You know, do I want them to be able to do active listening in an exercise or in a complex conversation or in the middle of a fight with, a fight with their spouse, right? That's very different levels of skill that you, you have to build your learning journey around. So you figure out at the end of the day, what do I want them to be able to do, how well and under what circumstances, then you can backtrack, all right, what do I need to do to get there. And part of that is what will I teach? What will I explain? What is the scaffolding I need so that ideas build on top of other ideas? What are the examples to make it interesting and fun? But then a lot of it becomes what opportunities can I give people to apply? And what is the feedback loop that I can build to help them getting it right? Most of the learning actually happens through that application and feedback. This is so key because this is what is not being taught by gazillions of other course creators. This is the key piece. And, you know, Michelle's on her head and Jenny, it's this piece of, you don't just ask, do a bunch of questions, ask a bunch of people what they want, and then give them a bunch of information that they asked for. You've got to like, at least read a freaking book on curriculum design and what it means to guide someone through a transformational process. And I, my guess is that your course is really different because that is showcased like 
you come at it with an instructional design mindset rather than a, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what I know. Well, you're absolutely right. Like we, we bring that to the table, but we also bring a very entrepreneurial lean startup minimum viable version approach. So my goal is not for people who sign up and, and take, go through my program to become expert instructional designers. My goal is to give them the minimum viable. Here's what you need to know to be able to apply to create good courses without being a good instructional designer. I mean, this is what we apply when we teach them how to build a curriculum too, right? It's not about what's the most I can cram into my course. It's what's the least that you can put in the course that still gets people the outcome, right? That's the hallmark of a great course, right? It's, it's the old, you know, would you rather a dentist that, that drills your teeth in 30 seconds or in three hours, right? Like you want to get to the result as quickly as possible. Nice. Can you give us an example of somebody that was struggling to before they met you and then kind of their Cinderella story of what happened afterwards? Um, sure. Yeah, I've got a great example. It's top of mind that I, um, you know, my first question was like, who can I who can I share without violating privacy? But she's shared this story in a video that we use. So I, I know that she's OK with it. Um, her name is Molly Mahoney. Um, you may be comfortable and familiar with her because she's she's become very well known in space. Um, her very first course that she tried to build before she came to us was not successful. She was not able to get off the ground. She couldn't get people signed up. She went through our program. This was years ago, changed the focus based on the research that we taught her how to do, built her first pilot course, enrolled people. That led to another course, enrolled more people. That scaled up. She's running a seven-figure business today. She's actually become a, a good friend and, and a collaborator. Um, and Molly's wonderful, right? I, I don't want to pretend for a second that I get the lion's share of the credit for her success. She gets the lion's share. I get a little bit of credit for accelerating her path just a little bit, right? But um, that, that's a great example. You, you can be, the reality is that you can be amazing at what you do. You can be incredibly skilled. You can have the best interests of your students in mind. And you can be incredibly motivated. That doesn't mean you're going to be successful. You know, motivation is this very misunderstood concept. People imagine, you know, I just need to be more motivated. I need to motivate myself to work harder. But motivation allows you to do to the best of your ability what you are already capable of doing. To do something that you are not yet capable of doing, you need guidance. You need instruction. You need someone to show you, okay, these are the steps. These are the pitfalls. Let me hold your hand. Let me guide you. Let me create this support system to help you move forward. And, uh, and, and that's what we do with our, with our students. That's why, again, we actually guarantee that our students will be successful. It's not like if you don't like my program, if you're not satisfied, whatever that squishy word means, I'll give you your money back. No, no, no. You go through our program, you do the work, you will launch your course, you will make back 100% of your investment with us. If not, I'll give you your money back because I don't deserve to keep it. So, um, Danny, you have a new book coming out. You want to talk real quick about your book? I'm sorry, Michelle, I think I grabbed your question from you, but I didn't know if you could see my little notice in the chat. I was like, hey, Michelle, ask Danny about his book. And I was like, no, that was my question. You're all good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I've written a bunch of books about online courses over the years. I've been writing about it since 2015. And... Um, you know, not to not to toot my own horn, but if you look at the Amazon reviews, I've got close to a thousand five-star reviews on these books. So people seem to think they are good. And yet there's this big disconnect between someone reading the book, thinking it's great, and being like, okay, I can go ahead and do it. And it's it's that same disconnect of it's very different to hear someone tell you about their ski experience versus being at the top of the hill, looking down 
about to start. And it's like, it's scary, right? There is something to that lived experience. And I wanted to create a book that helped people actually feel what it's like. And so this was a bit of a departure for me. I haven't, uh, I used to write fiction as a, as a kid, but like literally it's been decades. Um, I wrote this book as a business parable. So there's a fictional character, her name is Amy, and she goes through the same sorts of experiences that we've guided thousands of our students through. And so you see, what is the journey like? And she tries the things that people try and she stumbles where people stumble. And she has the same kind of interpersonal and emotional and family challenges that people often go through. You literally get to ride shotgun with someone who's going through this whole journey. And um, I'm, I'm biased, but I think it came out good. So <laughs> I encourage people to pick it up. I, I started reading it. I, I didn't get a chance to to finish it, but um, but it, it definitely is. Um, I I won't listen. I'll leave it as a cliffhanger. But the opening, like how how Amy meets her mentor, is hilarious. So I just, it's hilarious. <laughs> so I missed. Maybe I missed it. What's the title of the book? The title is Online Courses. So if you search Online Courses, Danny Amy on Amazon, that's it. That's it. It's yep. just called online courses. Yeah. I mean, right. it has a subtitle, but yeah. Okay. No, that's, that's good to know. Cause you know, I much prefer those business books that are, that are stories. I, I you know, it, they're so much easier to read. If I feel like I'm reading a textbook, just shoot me now. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, that was part of my thinking and approaching the book. Like, you know, I, I read a lot and, you know, I love a well-written book and, but I just noticed about myself the bar of how good a book needs to be to hold my attention is so much lower when it's a story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and do we have more questions? Or are you I did have a little plug for, for Danny, and that is that, you know, um, for the two of you lovely co-hosts, go out to Amazon and, and download it, read it, and do a review because um, we're, um, we're working on amassing Danny's reviews for the book, right? So the big give back for all this amazing information from us is like, read the book, do the review. Um, and it's an easy read because it's a story, so it's fun. So that's great. And if you're listening and you think, wow, that Danny Eni, that was really great, go out and make the minimum start investment in this book read it and make a decision. Is that a journey that I want to go on? Because here's what, here's what I know. And I, I literally, I can't say this about everybody, right? I really cannot, but I can say it about Danny because his generosity to me feels like it knows no bounds. He is um, a humble servant leader whose highest value is integrity. Like that is what he stands for. And it's not lip service because he does it first. And then you're like, oh, this guy is all about character and integrity. This is really amazing. Um, does what he says he's going to do. Hold you accountable to do what you said you were going to do. And um, I, uh, you know, I'm a raving fan. It, you're my new crush. Well, here I am blushing again. Thank you. Um, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, awesome. Well, I, I, I want to take this opportunity just uh, again, I, I think what we're going to do really quickly are our takeaways. So I, you probably saw me, uh, listeners, sorry, you guys can't see me right now, but I was furiously taking notes during this, um, really enjoying this. And I, I have to say the, the, the biggest takeaways are these three things that I wrote down, which is drive transformation, think differently and hold their attention. Right. So that's that all of those are face palm, like duh kind of things when it comes to this, this space, but you know, it's so good to hear it all together in, in one place. So 
Virginia, your big takeaway from this conversation. Oh, I've got a whole page of notes here. Um, I, I think the biggest, the biggest one for me was something that I intuitively knew, which is what the this difference between information and instruction or information and education. And um, what really helped me was understanding in terms of positioning, I've had a difficult time doing the, the industry isn't living up to what you want it to be, but because I didn't have a way to say, and the reason is this. And now I, I feel really strongly that like, yeah, that's why my stuff is so different. When you work with me, you do the stuff and it makes a difference. It's not just, I spewed a bunch of stuff at you. And then you went, Ooh, that was informational. Like it, and, and understanding that. And I think transformation has become an overly used word as well. So I like this notion of education that makes a difference is really, it's a, it's different because transformation is like, it, it hits differently these days. Yeah. It's lost its juice really, I think. So that's my takeaway. Ms. Michelle. Totally concurrent. As a, as a course producer, I love the idea of just in my head, being able to see, I'm going to start with the end result in mind, and I'm going to create this scaffolding that's going to help them to go, okay, have they actually caught on to this first concept? Now do they actually catch on to the second? And how do you test and serve that? And I just, I love the visual on it and I love the idea. So it's awesome to be able to implement. And I know that that's the way you talk all the time. And I know your ideas are like a mile a minute and it's like, oh my God, I've got to catch all this stuff. So I'm loving the implementation. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. So Danny, before Jenny takes us, takes us out. Okay. Um, we're going to do our naughty questions with you. Okay. So it's just, just a choice A or B, right? All right. When it comes to marketing domination or seduction. Oh, definitely B. <laughs> seduction it is. Okay. Um, you're in a big room. You're networking. Exhibitionist or voyeur? Uh, voyeur, unfortunately. No, no, it's not an unfortunate thing. Um, I'll introduce you to Matthew Pollard. He's going to change your mind. So, awesome. all right. Leadership, gentleman dom or power sub? I'm going to say A, but I'm, yeah, I'm going to say A. All right. Awesome. When it comes, when you think about team, Married, that would be employees, or mistress, 1099s. Married or mistress? Married. Okay. And when it comes to entrepreneurship, monogamy or polyamory? Like one business or many? Um, I think that's a complicated one. Um, I think it, polyamory, it, it is. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. That's no, I don't think so. I think um, I, I'd say more serial monogamy. Got it. All right, so there you guys have um, how, how Danny, as it relates to bad girls on business, our naughty questions. And I'm going to say thank you and let Jenny take us out. Yes, thank you so much, Danny, for being here. It, it was our honor to be able to get to have some of your precious time and your um, valuable expertise in this space. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. And listeners, you guys know that you, if you want to connect with Danny, we've got all of his social media in the show notes. So go click on all of where, wherever your favorite social media is, go follow Danny. Uh, make sure you check that out. And then make sure you get the book, Online Courses by Danny Eney. <laughs> 
make sure you get that. We'll have a link to it uh, direct to Amazon right here in the show notes. Um, you guys know, just click on the episode, scroll up a little bit, and that's where the show notes are uh, if this is your first time listening. Uh, also make sure that you go check us out at thebadgirlsonbusiness.com and find our Easter egg for a little extra surprise. So we thank you very much for listening and have and stay tuned because we have another badass episode on its way. Thank you for listening to the Bad Girls on Business podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode and for additional contact information about the guest or our hostesses. If this show got you going, we'd love to hear about it when you subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Can't get enough of the direct sales dom, the referral diva, or your mistress in business? The Bad Girls have hidden their gift for you at badgirlsonbusiness.com. When you find the Easter egg, use the password BGOB to unlock your treasure chest of goodies.